0: Let's take a look at some of the big improvers so far in 2023, 2024. Can they maintain it? Will they regress? I guess we'll find out. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and playing with dolls is cool. I'm also the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore ball on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePicks, the easiest and the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked and use the code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and we are available on all platforms. Go ahead and double bang. Hit the thumbs up here as well, hit the notification bell, uh, leave your comments down below. Um, all-star weekend is done it's in the books the all-star game was what it usually is I I don't watch anything across the all-star weekend I always try and take a break from it um just because I, I need a break at this point in the year um a lot of hand-wringing about how bad the all-star game was it's it's bad most of the time I but I, I am in the minority for most of this I don't I don't care because I don't watch the all-star game I don't think that all-star games in this Period that we live are uh, necessities. The Pro Bowl is already dead. Uh, here for yeah, our sport, AFL, State of Origin has been dead for 20 years. And honestly, there's a small push, oh, let's do it. But honestly, that doesn't hurt anything. Um, the NBA All Star game obviously bad in terms of the competitiveness. People are us make it competitive. Like, for what, though? Like, f- wh- what's, what's the purpose of that? I-, I think one of the big draws. From the all-star game is a it appeals to kids so we all think back to when we were kids and watching the all-star game and seeing all these guys play and the big stars and all that sort of stuff so we see that part of it but also back in the day when we were kids well when some of us were kids like the internet wasn't a thing you didn't have access to watch these players at any point when you wanted to you were just given whatever games were on a couple of times a week yeah, national TV plus your own team. So you wouldn't have gotten to see huge amounts of Jokic or Doncic or Halliburton or whoever right, on your thing. And when All-Star came, it was recognition of those players and you get them to see, see them all play together and you show off their skills, right? Obviously there's laughable defense in this game and, and whatever. Again, I know it bothers a lot of people and I know the All-Star game brings in a lot of money for the league and for all of that stuff it just doesn't bother me for a, you know, in any sort of significant way. I don't want them going out, going balls out. Like For me, again, this is part of the way that I've always been brought up watching sport. When we did used to have those representative games here, we'd be like, okay, if our players from my team got selected, I'd be like, God, just, don't, just sit them on the bench. I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want them out there. I don't want them hurt because I want them to play for the games that matter. And... That's sort of how I always just feel about this. Oh, it's, a, it's a great honor to be to nominated. To nom- <laughs> I sound like I'm accepting an Academy Award. It's a great um, honor to be selected. But overall, I think the usefulness of the game is just not really there outside of a marker in the season and something that triggers so many people's nostalgia button. But like... You'll, I know someone's going to leave a comment or in the chat here, well, you should just make the winner of it get home court advantage in the finals. Terrible idea. Dreadful idea. It just will never work. It just it is a bad idea that has, and I can explain why it's a bad idea if you like, because A, this is a game that, again, is non-competitive. Why are players on these in these games, why do they care when for 90% of them, it doesn't impact them whatsoever? And it's just a stupid way To determine like one random exhibition game versus the you would talk about devaluing the regular season. Well, then seeding in the regular season doesn't matter if you make the all star game determined by 12 players from one conference, of which, say, nine of them are only in the playoffs. It's just, it's a nonsensical idea. And again, the strive is we've got to make it more competitive. And my, I guess my pushback is do we? Do we? Let's just make it fun. Like, just look, if you're going to do it at all. Don't give it the um, semblance of a real game. I don't think you need to do that. Just make it whatever. But anyway, that's uh, I didn't even put a lot of thought into that. I just thought because All-Star Game was over, I'd just give it some quick thoughts And it. And I understand that I'm in the minority. People love it and they love, oh, I remember back in the All-Star Game. I, I don't feel that. So it's hard for me to have that uh, idea because I just think that the break is good. The game is a complete side thing for me. So what are we doing in this show here today? Uh, before we start to get back into the full like we'll do an injury show later in the week. We'll do an in- uh, a waiver wire show later in the week. We'll do a preview of the games coming up on Thursday later. in That'll all come in a couple of days' time. But today, what I thought we'd do is look at the value of players from last season to this season and try and see who ha- actually have been the big improvers. And I did that across numerous categories. Points, threes, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, obviously. Field goal percentage, free throw percentage. Um, in terms of overall statistical impact in category leagues, not just the raw number, but the impact. I included three-point percentage as a category as well because we know that's sort of a hidden influencer in terms of what that does to other categories. And I included um, usage as well as, as another category to look at. So, they're all the different categories I looked at. And I want to see which players um, had improved the most. And we did that based on a per 36 value as well. So, it wasn't just, well, you've played more minutes here. You've gone from playing... 10 minutes to 30 minutes, therefore, your scoring has jumped all the way through the river. It's about who improved their rates, who was able to do more in, in, in the same amount of time that they are out there. Just to get an idea of, a hey, that's great to know that they've improved, but is there maybe regression coming for some of these players? Because we've always got to be on the lookout for that. And what I wanted to do is I wanted, I use this to, to say who are the guys who had the biggest improvements, but I wanted to make it. I took the top 250 players in category rankings for this season. And I compared their value to last season. Obviously deleted guys like random, like one game legends like Keon Johnson or, or all the rookies and took all of those guys out. Took the guys that that yeah, didn't that are out for the season. So I'm not including Zach Levine or Jar Morant and those sort of players in this year's values because what's the point? We're not going to worry about whether they're regressing or not as we move forward or progressing or whatever's happening. So I took all those out. You don't need to know all the details, but that's sort of how I did it. And then wanted to see which players were in the top 5% of improvements in each in, in each of those categories. So we were down to about, I think, 200, 210, 220 players out of the top 250 is what the number was. So who was in the top 5% of those individual category improvements? And then who had the most category improvements? So... After all those categories that I just told you, the standard eight categories plus three point percentage in usage, so we did 10 different categories. There was one player who had um, four category improvements. That was the leader. The most improved player for fantasy this season was one guy who had four individual statistical categories that jumped, that were in the top 5% of improvement rates. And I'm going to let you have a think about who you think that might be. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. Picks is America's number one fantasy sports app with over 3 million members. It is the easiest and the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports as well. It is just you against the numbers. You pick more than or less than. Between two to six players' stat projections, and you watch the winnings roll in, it is, of course, demon time on price picks. And you can now win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. You can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at price picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins give you different payouts, and you can now win up to 100 times your money with as little as four correct picks. So don't be like Grant Williams in demon time and sent the um, you up message. Go and go to... Price picks and see what you can do to turn your money into more money. So go across to PricePix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. That is PricePix.com slash LockedOnNBA. The code is LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, pick more, pick less. It is that easy. This isn't a a sort of show that I've really done before uh, mid-season, and some of the methodology, maybe we could narrow that down. But again, a general rule, top 250 players took out the guys who weren't playing rest of season, who didn't play last season, who were either ridiculously low minutes this season or ridiculously low last season to try and get an idea there. And then we looked at the top 5% of improvers across those 10 different categories. Have you figured out who the number one guy is? who was able to improve in four of those 10 categories or be in the top 5% of improvers in four categories. I'm not going to uh, keep you wondering anymore. It is your mate, Scotland Barnes. Barnesy was able to improve in four separate categories. His points. He went up 4.7 points per 36 minutes. It's a big jump, man. Again, obviously, I misprojected Scotty Barnes in the offseason, I, I was not impressed by his year two. And yes, while they were losing Fred Van Vliet, I didn't think that Barnes would take a massive, massive leap forward. Um, and th- that leap forward sort of been muted, I guess, a little bit, but he's improved in a few different other areas, which have really helped. His uh, usage has gone up five percentage points. I think I had him projected about three and a half percentage points, so he's bumped up there, so he's got more usage. He's taken on more load, giggity. His three-pointers made has gone up. He's making an extra 1.3 per 36 minutes, or 0.97 actually, 0.98 per 36 minutes. That's a huge dump. Obviously, his percentages have risen. He's like, his three-point percentage is up 7 percentage points. His um field goal percentage is up 1.7 percentage points. His free throws are up only 0.64, so it's about the same. But he's been able to increase scoring. He's been able to increase usage by 5 percentage points. He's been able to increase his block rate as well by 0.67 per 36. And again, one of the major things that we often see with players is once your offensive role increases, your defensive statistical contribution in steals and blocks usually drops off. So Barnes sort of blocked that trend. He took his scoring up. He took his usage up. His three-point shooting went up. And he was able to do more shot blocking. Up by 0.67 per 36. So I say all this to say it's been great from Barnes. Is there anything there that screams to us regression? I guess is the question. Is there anything we look at there and go, well, you know, he, he basically improved across the board. His rebounds per 36 up. His assists per 36 are up. Field goal percentage, free throw percentage, um, that was all all up as well. His uh, three point yeah three point percentage I said already was up. His uh, usage is up. His true shooting is up. I'm going to look at his field goal percentage Impact. The only thing that went down is his free throw percentage impact. So he's actually a little bit more of a negative there. Even though his percentage went up, the volume increased enough and the overall league average improved enough that he's now more of a negative in free throw percentage than he was. So he's improved right across the board. So is there any room here for worry about what might decrease? The blocks is always one where you got to worry a little bit about volatility. And with Linux and Pirtle both there, and if Linux plays more powerful, that will impact Barnes. Um, the shooting, we're still, still not 100% that Barnes is going to be as good of a shooter as he's been so so maybe that regresses, but he's been like obviously strong across the board. And I think he's going to hover very comfortably in the top 50, probably in the top 30, top 40 zone and his minutes, he hasn't really changed his playing time, which is also interesting. I thought maybe he'd play more and he did early on the season, but he's only playing 0.39 minutes extra per game this season. So he's the number one improver. Next, we had a bunch of players who had, he, he jumped up four categories we had a bunch of seven other players who jumped up to be in the top five percentage improvers in three different categories. And interestingly, the next guy we're going to talk about is the guy that finished second in Rookie of the Year to Scotty Barnes, and it's Evan Mobley. Now, Mobley is a really interesting case because obviously he had the knee injury, which cost him a lot of time to begin this season. But he's been able to improve a lot. His rebound numbers are up 2.3 rebounds per 36. And that's while playing alongside Jarrett Allen for a lot of the season. Now, some of that is Allen having some limited minutes early in the year, I guess, but Mobley's still doing a lot more rebounding and they are really sort of working to split these guys up even more than usual. Probably the biggest key here is that Evan Mobley now is hitting threes. He's still not taking a huge amount, but his three-pointers made per 36 are up 0.09. It's a small amount, but he's 20% better. He's 41% from three versus 21% from three last season. That's obviously a really significant difference. Really significant. Now, part of the issue that his three-point attempt rate hasn't actually improved, we need to see that start to improve. And it has over the last like 10 games. He's jumped that up yeah, pretty significantly, and we'll see whether that holds but that three-point percentage is up. And his free throw percentage, which was also a real bother for him, that is up in terms of impact in that category. He's up 0.84, which is almost one full standard deviation improvement in free throw percentage. We talk about you know, how if someone's a, a punt guy or you know, a real negative in a category, um, yeah you know, how, how impactful or negative that can be. But Mobley now is at almost 76% Almost 76% from uh, the free throw line this season. If you compare that to where he was last season, and I will do that if I can just get my little screen to move across. Um, Where are we? I think it's this one. I think he was at 60 something. Now I've lost where I'm at. Yeah, he was at 67% last season. So that's a big jump. It's a big, big jump up there. And that's improved that impact being from a pretty significant negative in that category to being just sort of below below average, which is not anywhere in that punt territory at all. So he's improved his three-point shooting. He's improved his free throw shooting, which tie in together really nicely. He's rebounding more, which is key as well. And he's also playing fewer minutes. So is there anything there worrying? Well, The three-point percentage on low volume, that can fluctuate quite a bit. So I'm a little worried about that. But I think those minutes are going to push up even further. And the rebounding rate, I'm impressed by. The free throw percentage improvement, I'm impressed by. So I think that in terms of we're looking at regression chances here for Mobley in the second half, I actually don't think that's the case. His scoring is up per 36. His block rate is up marginally, but enough. Steal rate is up. Field goal percentage is up. Free throw percentage is up. Three-point percentage is up. There is so many different things that have improved. His overall uh, e-field goal percentage is up. His um, uh, true shooting percentage is up as well uh, pretty significantly. His usage is about the same as well. So that, that's, that's the hard part to unlock for him. But there are enough indicators there to get excited and not be too worried about where this can go negatively. Another big man. We talked about a lot in the preseason about how I was interested in drafting Daniel Gafford, and I did. He was my most drafted player in any league. And uh, slow the first week or so, flying now. And we still don't really know what's going to happen with him in Dallas. But not only, part of my rationale was like, who the hell else is playing centre? And that was true. Nobody else was playing centre. So his minutes jumped up significantly. He's at 5.6 extra minutes per game this season. That is a big chunk. But impressively, his rate numbers jumped up as well. He's at 1.7 extra rebounds per 36. So he's just grabbing more boards. He's at 0.58 steals per 36 up. He's at 0.76 blocks per 36. So not only is he playing more minutes and having to stay on the court because there wasn't another center and staying out of foul trouble, he's actually blocking more shots and that is not something that you see. You don't see that with players. As they play more minutes, their block rate usually drops. I am obviously worried about Gafford and the sustainability of this because of the minutes maybe pushing back down. But I think that given that he's improved his rebound rate, playing alongside Luca, we'll see, Um, but the block rate's staying up if he plays few minutes. I do think a lot of this stuff is relatively sustainable. It's all going to be about, is he 27 minutes or is he 23? Does Lively start? Does Gafford start? Do they play 21 minutes each? We're still holding him, so there is significant regression risk here with Gafford, but it's impressive to see some of those steps forward that he was able to take this season. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes you just need the opportunity, you know, this to get something off your chest, big or small. Certain things can really start to get to you. It's important to let that out, especially to someone who's unbiased in your life. Maybe you are really, really disappointed in the NBA's all-star game. I get it. Maybe you're really disappointed in the quality of the commentary you know, through the Steph and Sabrina shootout, through the dunk contest, which was obviously horrid. And you want to get that out to somebody. And most people in your life be like, shut up, what are you talking about? But sometimes you're being able to deal with those things and get them out can be helpful for bigger problems in your life. Therapy can be different for anybody. Most of us have bigger problems than listening to Kenny Smith be horrible on the commentary, but getting things off your chest once in a while can help you deal with some of those bigger problems as well, as well as you teaching some of those uh, coping skills. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be flexible and suited to your schedule. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on NBA. Okay. The next one was one that I didn't really see coming at all. Like Gafford, I could say, yes. Mobley, I expected some improvement. Yes. Barnes, I expected some improvement, but nowhere near that level of improvement. The next one is the Padawan, Colin Sexton. We didn't really know in the preseason who would be the Jazz starting point guard, but given what we saw last season, they had no interest in playing Sexton as a point guard at all. And they they haven't. It's been Horton Tucker, uh, then Keontae George, and then Chris Dunn. And I thought, okay, so Sexton means he's got a battle with uh, with Jordan Clarkson to get minutes. I'm not really super high on him. You can take him in the late rounds and see what happens, but he's been ridiculous. He's played only 0.74 minutes extra per game this season. And when you look at the value that Colin Sexton has this season, it's pretty crazy to see that his minutes just haven't changed. That's that's such a small change. He's averaging 24.6 minutes per game this season, and he's a very comfortable top 100 player. So what's happened? Well, he's just scoring at an insane rate. 4.6 points per 36 minutes, he's up. He's cyst C-straight for a guy that I've criticized a lot in the past for having very much a lack of vision. He stepped up. Now, one of those things, I guess, when we look at projections and do this next season is you look at the, one of the big questions we had on the Jazz was like, bro, who's going to pass on this team? Can anyone pass? And someone has to step up usually in that sort of a role. And Linux did a bit more of that. Markinen doesn't really do much of that. The rookies, like Keontae George, he didn't really do much of it. So Sexton stepped up. Point. 2.3 assists per 36 increase. And his free throw impact is up almost a full standard deviation as well because of volume, plus 7.74. Is there anything there that you, makes me go, I'm a little worried about regression on this stuff? Maybe the assists, maybe. But I, I can also see the minutes rising even further if Jordan Clarkson gets an injury later on and we get to see a full Sexton um. Sexton-George combo for more minutes. I think the scoring could actually improve because I think Markkanen will suffer some injuries at some point this season. And the free throw impact, I don't know, he's always been a really good free throw shooter, but he's improved a ton this season. So I think most of this improvement from Sexton is real, and I don't look at anything as a gigantic red flag that's going to regress. Speaking of red flags that are going to regress, Denny Avdia. Denny was completely mid for three seasons. New coach is well, new coach now, Brian Keith, new front office. He's a restricted free agent coming up. He hasn't played that many more minutes, plus 1.6 extra minutes. Now, last season, I was very critical of the Wizards because they were playing him behind Rui Hachimura, and I was very convinced that Denny was a better player than Rui. And then we had Tommy Shepard coming out and saying, well, we had to trade away Rui so we could, because he was just blocking Denny. We had to give him more minutes, and my argument was always, you could have just given the minutes to Denny anyway. And then Rui left, and they didn't give the minutes to Denny anyway. Part of that is the Beal stuff um, and Beal being there and Denny sort of needing more of the ball in his hands. So he was in line that we thought, okay, will he start this season? He seems like a perfect fit in between Kuzma and Poole. And there was whispers that they'd be going with Kispert. Not that that's ridiculous, but they did start him. His minutes have been all over the place. We know this. But he's been able to do some really impressive things this season, dear. But there are some real caution points here. He is averaging 5.2 points per 36 minutes more than he did last season. Now, there was always going to be an improvement in usage because of the the um, absence of Bradley Beal. That one, that's not hard to figure out. But he's not doing it through gigantic usage improvements, 3% usage improvement. That's not a big, big difference. He's hitting almost 11 percentage points better on three. That's the concern. He's running at like, I think over the last two weeks, like 48% from three. He's at 41 for the season he's always been a bad three-point shooter. Now, can I believe that Denny is a 37% guy? Maybe 38. I can. Yep. 41? 45? No, I-, I can't believe that. His field goal percentage impact for fantasy is also up over a full standard deviation because he's more volume and he's hitting the shots at an increased rate. His field goal percentage overall is up 2.2%. Uh, sorry, sorry. His field goals up 8.4%, which is again a gigantic jump, and his threes up 10.8%. That is just such a large jump for a guy that never has profiled as a great shooter. Like he's f- almost four percentage points up on twos. I can say that's fair enough. Maybe that holds. It might not. Maybe it does. But when your points are so tied into that three-point percentage, and your field goal percentage value is tied into that as well any sort of drop in that three-point number is going to cause him to fall off pretty considerably. So he is someone that, yeah, we roster him now, but I I do believe there's a pretty sizable fall coming here. His minutes are up 1.5, 1.6 per game. That's been wildly inconsistent as well through the season. That could continue to rise as the season goes on and they remove guys from the rotation. One of the more wild ones I think this season is the play of the big ragu, Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo played, you know, I thought he was a pretty interesting player in Milwaukee. He obviously hated being in Sacramento, hated the way the front office used him and, and treated him and all that sort of stuff through his restricted free agency. He went to Golden State and sort of revived his career a little bit and was pretty solid there, but he has taken things to a new level. I was very worried about Dante heading to the Knicks in terms of this season because there weren't minutes there. We had Grimes, we had Brunson, you had Hart, you had Quickly, and you had DiVincenzo. And as I always said for Grimes and Quickly and DiVincenzo and Hart, there's not enough minutes for these guys to play enough to matter. And then the Knicks just cleared out a bunch. Grimes is obviously gone. Barrett's gone. Quickly's gone. Then injuries strike, and DiVincenzo's doing everything. But it's not all just about minutes. Because actually, overall this season, he is averaging fewer minutes... Than he averaged last season. Yes, the more that that will continue, that will change as the season goes on. And he missed that last game with a hamstring. The expectation is he'll be fine first game after the All Star break. So we don't have to worry about that. That is the expectation that him and Hartenstein will be available to play that first game after the break. Randall and Ananobi not, but Divincenzo and Hartenstein yes. Um, but he's playing yeah, fewer minutes overall. He played twenty six minutes a night for the Warriors last season, averaged nine points a game with a usage of 15. On a team with Randall, on a team that did have Barrett, on a team with Brunson, he's got a usage of 21%. He's hitting one and a half extra threes per 36 minutes. He's averaging a whopping 6.8 points per 36 minutes more. His usage is up 5.57 percentage points while his minutes being down. And honestly, I'm not sure... What, what sort of stuff regresses? He's hitting 41% from three. He was at 40 last season. That's not a big deal. He's at 55 from two. He was at 53 last season. That's not a big deal either. His free throws are actually well down. He was at 82 and 84 the last two seasons. He's at 73 this season. That can actually improve. It's all about getting way more shots. Now, the problem is going to be is that Ananobi and Randall are all going to filter back in. And then DiVincenzo's minutes, which are already down from last season, and they're sitting at 25 But a lot of his value has come over the last month or so when he's a top 70, top 50 player. But as every day gets closer to the return of those players, the minutes will start to drop. And then you've got to really hope, does he actually maintain 20% usage? I would suggest not, because over the last 14 games, he's averaging 34 minutes a night. And in that, as you can tell, the minutes way up is because players have been out. So he has taken his usage up to 24% during that time. So conversely, once those minutes start to drop again, that's because other high usage players have returned, so that usage will go back. His overall season number 20.8. I think it'll probably push back overall back to under 20. And therefore his threes will drop, usage drops, scoring drops, overall value drops. He won't be a category he won't be a fantasy drop immediately, but he could end up being there when those other players do return. But it's been a huge improvement mainly just through being forced into more minutes because of the rotation decisions of Tibbs and getting more shot attempts because of the injuries. And that's and he's been able to maintain all of his numbers. And we just have to see what happens when... Yeah, the big one's going to be Randall, but Randall, Ananobi, Hartenstein to a smaller degree when all these guys return um, and how that has an impact on him. And it, it's going to have to have some sort of an impact. I'm pretty sure of that. The next one we talk about we've got two more to go. We go to Oklahoma City and we go to the Bronco, Jalen Williams. Jalen obviously is a second year player who was third in Rookie of the Year last season. He was third behind Walker Kessler, wasn't he? Um, and started off this season actually really slow. He was outside the top 100 for a big chunk of the fantasy season. He was getting drafted in the 50s. I had him around that 50 to 60 mark. He finished last season, last the top 30 in the last two, three months. And a lot of people had some high hopes for him. He has improved significantly this season, despite some of the fantasy stuff not quite being maybe as high of an improvement as we thought. Because again, we're basing it on the full season of last season, where he averaged only 30 minutes a night. So he's up 1.71 minutes. But what is really interesting here, 5 usage percent higher. So they are just funneling way more stuff to him. He had 18 usage last season. He's at 23. But over the last 12 games, he's at 25. They're giving him way more responsibility offensively. So 5% usage up. He's shooting an incredible almost 10% better from three. He went from 35 to 45. Now, anytime you see someone shooting 45% from three, you look at it and go, I worry for a 15-game 32% cold streak. That is a worry for me, and it is possible. So that's always going to give me some level of pause. But the scoring is up, 4.8 per 36, because the three-pointers are up, because the usage is up. He's playing 1.7 minutes a night, and those minutes, I think, might even rise a little bit more. So there is, he's improved. He's been awesome. He's their second-best player. Actually, Chet probably is, but that's close between those two, Who, whatever you want to say. But the worry there is like 10 percentage points on threes. It's not that he went from 20 up to 30, which you go, that's easily, like, you can easily do that. He went up from 35 to 45. And 45% from threes is a hard thing to maintain. Yeah, he doesn't take a huge volume, and that's probably something he needs to do. But if he starts taking more threes, how does that impact the overall scoring, field goal percentage impact, um, and overall fantasy value? But another awesome season. The last one on this list is the rabbit hunter, Alex Caruso. Caruso has been um, someone that we've always liked from a fantasy perspective, but never seemed to get enough minutes, um, never was out there enough and would always get hurt. And that was the same thing this season. He was hurt so much early on. But after about his third injury with his toe or his ankle, he came back and he just basically is playing through everything. And we thought that they would just never be able to play more than 26, 27 a night. But no, he plays like 31 a night now. Zach Levine is out for the season so we have got 31 minutes a night over the last 26 games for Caruso so his minute totals he played 23 and a half last season his minutes are overall up 3.6 but they're up almost 7 over the last uh, 2 months his points per 36 are up significantly 4.5 points per 36 he averaged 5 points a game last year he's up to 10 this season He's doing that by improving his usage almost three percentage points as well. His three-point shooting has gone from 36 to 40%, and he's doing that um, by taking more threes, up from 53% attempt rate to 60 And then the thing that's really interesting is his block numbers. He's always been an elite defender, one of the best perimeter defenders. You could argue maybe the best perimeter defender in the NBA. He's always been good at that, but he has taken his block numbers through the roof. Over the last 12 games, he's averaging 2.1 blocks. He is at 0.5 blocks per 36 higher this season than last season. That's a big number. As I said, it's the top 5% of all sort of fantasy-relevant players in terms of improvement. I, he's only at 1.2 blocks for the season, so I'm a little worried that this level of improvement has been really fueled by these last string of games where he's had one block, four blocks, zero, four, two, three, two, one, two, three. Because prior to that, it was one, two, one, three, one, 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 zero, zero, one, zero, one. All right, why is he on this real hot streak of blocks? I'm a little worried about that. And I'm always going to be worried about injuries. But the fact that Levine's not there means that that usage can stay high, the minutes can continue to rise. I'm a little worried about the blocks. They also brought him off the bench last game with um, Drummond starting uh, and Desumu starting as well. I don't think that'll be the case. I'm pretty excited about what Caruso can bring. I just think a lot of his recent value, though, has been really fueled by an insane run of blocks. And I'd just be a little bit cautious about that holding. And that is the... They're the top eight players. I'll quickly run through the list of who was after those guys in terms of your know, most categories... Improved in, or most categories in the top 5% of improvements. After Caruso is Dort. It's Jalen Smith. It's Shea. It's Doncic. It's Lamello Ball. It's De'Aaron Fox. Alperen Sengun. I don't think people should be surprised about really any of these. Um, after Sengun, it's Jalen Duran, Austin Reeves. Marcus Smart, interestingly. Karis Levert. Hmm, Corey Kispert. Joel Embiid. Kobe White. Ayo DeSumo, and actually Draymond Green. Just behind them, Trey Young, CJ McCollum. With just one category improved. But that's the next list of names. So, some interesting names there. Again, just sort sort of something, I think, just to stimulate your thoughts about where we're at in the fantasy season. And I hope this gave you some value. Don't forget to be a double banger, which I'm sure you already are. That means you just download the audio, or you listen to the audio, play it through. That's great. And then you go and let the YouTube video play through. Just bump the numbers up. Let's pump them through. We're already at our most successful season ever and I want to continue to grow and grow and grow. Let's start to challenge some of these fantasy football shows as well and get numbers bigger than them. Maybe? Probably not. Um, All right, guys. We are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.